The first step in making smart decisions about hiring is to make sure you don't do things that you could say are not smart, okay? And sifting through huge piles of hard copy resumes based on what the post office randomly happened to deliver you on any day, not smart. Sitting around and waiting for candidates to come to you, not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton, S-E-X-T-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You are entering the Freedom Hut. Team, I sat down with the President of the United States today for quite a while. I will tell you about that, my conversation with uh, with Donald Trump, uh, as well as all the latest in the Kavanaugh hearings and the release of classified information declassified by the President's own hand, what that means for the fantasy of Russia collusion, that and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I was... A little concerned for a moment there that I wasn't going to, for the first time ever, I was going to be detained and unable to get to my microphone in time, that that the hut would have been unmanned. It's all right. Producer Mike would have stepped in, told you some stories. You know, he's he's got he's got game. Uh, but I, I was a little bit worried. But it would have been an excuse that I think all of you would have been just fine with, which is that until just uh, some moments ago, I was uh, sitting in the Oval Office with the president discussing pretty much everything uh, for about 45 minutes or so, which was a, a, a <laughs> how to describe. Uh, those of you who have known me for a while or been listening to, uh, to the show, been a part of Team Buck, know that I've, I've been in the Oval a couple of times before, but on CIA business, uh, very specific, uh, very much in the realm of of intel speak and and on uh, on a very on a, on a narrow issue that i had deep expertise on and it was kind of you know in brief the president out right this was 45 minutes of sitting down with the president of the united states and i had a couple of colleagues there as well um my colleague john solomon was with me we're we're taking notes asking questions and and you know this was the first time since i had been a I guess I was going to say a, a civilian, or but really this is the first time since I was a kid that I'd ever spoken to President Trump. I met him when I was about fifteen, I think, and I don't I don't believe he recalled. I didn't get into some of our our uh, shared history in this meeting. I wanted to keep it very, very much on task and on on the level of a of a discussion among. I, I suppose I was a journalist today. I don't know. I was a, a media person asking questions. 
Um, a lot of the discussion was was off the record, and of course, I will always respect that. I'm talking to the President of the United States, and my word is my bond. Uh, but the stuff that wasn't off the record, I'll be able to, uh, you can see it, and it'll be on thehill.com. We'll be posting some stories tonight. I mean, we have, we have big headlines, and, and I can't really get ahead of what we're going to be posting, uh, again, on, on thehill.com, because I, I want to make sure that you know, we, we break the stories there, but we have so many, so many important takeaways and, and headlines from this sit down with the president that, uh, you know, it, it'll it'll be well worth your time to be checking in. Also, those of you who uh, who don't already, if you follow me on Facebook or on Twitter, I'll be sharing all the stories. But you're the first people to hear about this. I mean, I I went went straight from uh, straight from the White House into the Freedom Hut. I mean, I just you know had to transition right away and have had very little time. I'm really processing this sit down with the president of the United States and president Trump is really, uh, it's a whole other experience beyond presidents that I've met in the past. Um, and so I'm really processing it as, as I sit here with you. I mean, a, a few things come to mind. First of all, uh, and like I said, I, I can't talk about anything that was off the record, which some of it was incredibly illuminating and certainly worthwhile um, background for me to know what the president's real thinking is on a number of issues. Um, and, and on some of the other major headlines, I have to save them. Like colleagues at the Hill are writing it up right now as a transcript. It was a written interview, so we we don't have video of it uh, and, and we, we cannot share any audio of it either. Uh, but the the, the biggest things that, that come away from sitting down with this man for that length of time, at this point, point in history, too, is you can tell he is very frustrated. He's very frustrated because he really does want to do the best for this country. And, and folks, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a trained intelligence officer. I'm, I'm pretty good at sniffing out nonsense and I know when people are trying to put on a show and, you know, it's sometimes it's a great thing. I mean, for my job now, other times, if you're going to try to excel in a bureaucracy, you know, it's it's easier if you just buy into the company line. So I'm, I've had my troubles with that in the past. But this guy, this president, President Donald Trump, really does want to make the country as great as he possibly can. Uh, he loves this country and he is frustrated because he is beset with so many people that have such an, an insane hatred, not just for him. And I, by the way, I don't think, you know, that that doesn't bother him. What bothers him, and like I said, I just came, I just came from speaking to the man, you know, uh, uh, we, we covered everything. I mean, we were talking national security, Russia collusion investigation, DOJ, is, you know, is there a deep state? I mean, all this stuff, right? I mean, we, we covered all this ground and I'm sitting here and I'm seeing a guy who, who really does come across in one of the, one of the guys afterwards, when, when we walked out, one of my crew just said, you know, he's just, he's the president, but he's also a guy, you know, he's also just uh, somebody who wants to talk to you like a normal person. I've been around lots of politicians, done lots of interviews. I've been around them as a CIA officer. And then later on, as a media person, and you get the, you know, well, let me talk to you about the Constitution. And there's a lot of just, they think that, that that's the way they're supposed to speak. And so they do. Trump just speaks to you like a person. You know, this is what I think is going on. This is what I don't like. This is what I like. You know, what do you think? What's going on? You know, you got any advice for me? I mean, he's, 
He's a guy's guy. Um, and and I really could tell that, you know, given what's going on right now, I mean, he's got the economy absolutely booming. Uh, despite the fact that people are all concerned about the trade war. I'll talk to you about trade war and China later on in the show. But the hatred for him from the anti-Trump resistance, he can handle that. I mean, this guy, he, he doesn't care. And he knows a lot of them are really just, they need, these are people that are bitter. I mean, he calls them haters. It's true. They need to hate something. And they hate him. And you know what? If that, if that expenditure of their energy in some way makes them, you know, able to get through their day, I feel like Pres- President Trump's like, whatever. I mean, you know, they can say all this crazy stuff. He'll call them out. I mean, if, if they try to make a public thing of it, like CNN does, he'll, he'll, he'll go toe-to-toe with them. But he understands, I think, that there are a lot of unhappy people out there. And they actually hate success. And they hate that somebody else might be right and might be bringing greater success to more people in this country than anyone that they would have supported could do. But what bothers him is that he's bogged down with this this just complete and utter nonsense about Russia and collusion and the Mueller probe. The Mueller probe, and I can tell you this, and, and I'm, I've, I know I've been saying this to you for a lot from the beginning. You know, I said that that Sessions shouldn't recuse himself. I mean, I, I've been I've said the special counsel was a disaster starting back in the earliest days when I took over this show. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in the Oval Office with the president of the United States and we're just going back and forth. And, and you know, he's answering every question. He's taking me deep into his thought process. This whole Russia thing is such a travesty. It really is because it's taken a lot of the president's energy away from more important things. It has uh, frightened away very good people from either staying in the White House with him or going to work for him. They, they don't want to have to pay massive legal bills. They don't want this team of Mueller and his headhunters looking to get them in a perjury trap. And I get it. And it also has fed a level of just insane hatred. And all these people, I mean, I... Look, I've lost friends over this. I mean, there are people that won't even talk to me anymore. Media people and people in my day-to-day life. Because I really support this president. And they are consumed with this ferocious hatred for a man who is really just showing up, doing his best every day to do the best for all of us. I'm aware of all of his flaws. I know he's imperfect. But here's the thing that the Trump haters don't really get. I never bought into the delusion that we were electing somebody who was perfect. I've never wanted to go to sleep at night thinking that the president doesn't have personal foibles, doesn't have shortcomings, and because that's that's living in a fantasy. That's the fantasy they were living in for eight years of Obama. That Obama was perfect. That Obama was better than all of us. That we were really a disappointment to Obama. I mean, this was this was liberal orthodoxy for eight years. And I sit there with this president and, and you know, the guy's like, look, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of good things happening here. But, you know, he loves this country and he loves its people. He He's not a hateful guy at all. That's what I think. Yeah, he's a fighter. But, you know, sometimes when you love something, you're going to have to fight. And Donald Trump loves this country and he loves its people. So he will fight for them, even if it means that he's going to be in a lot of conflict with other Americans that, believe it or not, Donald Trump wants to make their lives better, too. They may not know it, 
so you know I, I've been telling you all along this Russia collusion thing is 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 a a witch on a hoax. I mean, all, you know, we run out of ways of saying it, but it, but more than anything else, it has really hurt the American people because our government, our government has been working at you know half speed in terms of what's been able to accomplish on a, on a lot of things, not on everything, and a lot has been accomplished. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, they have managed to slow things down. And when I asked the president, I said, you know, how much time do you spend having to think about this? And the fact that he has to give me an answer that's not zero is just, it's really heartbreaking. You know, it really is. And it's, and it is enraging and it makes me angry. This is complete, this whole, this notion that the president worked with the Russians to cheat and the dossier and all this. I mean, this is an, it's a, it's a national embarrassment that so many media outlets have been running with this, that they've been so partisan and so disgraceful in what they've done and how they've presented this story. And that they, they don't have any shame over it. You know, we're going to see, and folks, I already have, I mean, I've got so much to tell you about. I've got, there's more text messages that are coming out. I mean, you know, I can tell you right now, the, misconduct, the politicized misconduct at the DOJ and FBI is, is going to be beyond. No one's going to be able to deny it within a week or two. Meaning that that people like me who have been telling you, and I know you've been with me. I mean, folks, we I have an ongoing conversation with all of you, right? I mean, I, I learn so much every day from all of your emails and your messages. And, and this is, you know, this is something that it, it, it helps my analysis to always know where you are. And you know, I like to think of it like I've I've got I've only got, a, you know, my, my producer, Mike, and, and my team of John and Brandon, but, you know, I've got all of you also, right? So the team is actually vast. But, you know, we've known all along that this was, this was a giant pile of, of terrible garbage. And, and it's going to be more clear than ever. These text, there's more text messages that are coming out. I've got the early, not from the president. He didn't tell me that, but I've got the early word on that, that more text messages. And you're going to read these text messages, and your head is going to spin. Because Strzok and Page are every bit the hyper-partisans thinking that they're saving the country from their own electoral choices. They're every bit uh, that and more. And there are others around them who are enabling it. There are others around them who are a part of this whole process, too. And they need to be held to account. But think about what really this 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 slow moving national nightmare we've been put through of Donald Trump is a traitor. That's really what they've been saying. Some have come out and actually said it tantamount to treason. The former CIA director tantamount to treason. I sat down today with this guy for almost an hour. And I can tell you that those people who are saying that are either crazy or they're liars. Donald Trump loves this country. He is doing the best he can for it every day. He is an imperfect vessel if you really care about the spit and polish of being a politician that is seasoned. I don't care. You don't care. He loves the country. He's fighting for the country. And the fact that he has been able to stay on track as much as he has, given what's arrayed against him, was just incredible. And, uh, you know, that that was really, that's my, my big takeaway from all this, is what an incredible maelstrom he's been battling through and it's all because there are people that don't want to see him succeed and with that they don't want to see the country succeed um there'll be there'll be details lots of details of of the interview but we're gonna i I have to i'm I'm obligated to wait until 
They're posted up on thehill.com uh, for you to see them. Uh, we're going to break a lot of news, uh, news around news around Kavanaugh, news around what's going to happen at DOJ now that we have more information. So that's all coming up. Uh, if you want to chat, by the way, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We'll open up the lines now because uh, I know I haven't been taking a lot of calls lately. If you got any thoughts on this or, you know, what, what question do you wish I'd asked the president? I'll tell you if I asked it or if I didn't. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll be... I'll be able to come back and, and talk to him again soon. And maybe next time we'll, we'll be able to videotape it, which would be fun. So uh, that's what we've got. Oh, oh, oh what am I going to do the rest of the show? I'm not just going to tell you about my, my uh, time with the president today. Although, as you can imagine, he'll just leave the Oval Office and have spoken to the pre- and then come right here on radio. I mean, I got to tell you, you know, you guys are my family. I got to tell you about it right away. Uh, we're going to discuss the Kavanaugh situation, uh, which I am more firm in my opinion on than ever. And then also the declassification of this of this deep state plot, really. I mean, that's uh, that's what I believe it was, and we're going to have a lot of evidence of that. And then whatever else you've got on your mind, 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. we got some calls. Let's take them. I'm sure folks got some thoughts and ideas. Wade in Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, Wade today sir sounds like you had an awesome day it was quite interesting i bet it was that's one to mark down on the calendar as well win there huh it was funny to have, wanted- have been in the in the uh, oval as a as a cia guy and then to go back as a as a media guy who would have thought right yeah well don't feel good going in there with a president who cares about the country though yeah no it was amazing i mean he, he's an he's an incredible storyteller too which you see at the live events but even in person uh, I mean, he really he, he has an, he has an incredible charisma. I mean, and, and his he his does. ability to communicate ideas is is pretty amazing. So, you know, when he, he also uses like some colorful language. He's, he's quite he's quite a guy. He is. When a charisma like that can affect you, even if you hate him, you know what I mean. People that hate him, you can see that they're mesmerized by him. Also, I, I wanted to ask: Did you ask him about Sessions? About Jeff Sessions? Is he going to fire him? Um. I did ask him about you, sessions. It's going to be up on the hill.com. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that I could, we, we have quite a, quite a response to the question. Uh, and we're going to be breaking that, I think probably later on tonight, but uh, hopefully you follow me on Facebook, Wade. I'll, I'll be posting it there too. So be sure to see it. But yes, I, I got uh, banned from Facebook. Oh, you got banned. Whoa. Banned. What'd you do? I didn't do anything. Some pictures <laughs> You're just being a conservative, no on the, you know, having a leftist argument, you know, yeah, I know. If you that love freedom too much, Facebook they, Facebook they, will they, ban they you. It, it happens. My phone and remove the apps from my phone. Um, but anyway, thank Wade. Thank you for calling in from Mississippi. Good to talk to you, uh, Kenny in Boston. Our, our brother Kenny in Boston. How you doing? How you doing, Buck? I'll get right to it. Listen, I got three things here, real quick. Here, if previous recent history of uh, what the DNA guideline here, what I'd be looking for is a second Kavanaugh accuser to come step forward in order for them to try to falsely establish a pattern. And um, Trump's release of these uh, documents and stuff, uh, they will be, might be counted. we get got to watch for a Mueller announcement or release because it seems like he times Mueller, times these things too. Yeah, he does. Well, Kenny, you're a perfect transition. We're going to talk Kavanaugh hearing and also the uh, document declassification of the FISA stuff coming up in just a few. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. 
Judge Kavanaugh is one of the finest people that I've ever known. Uh, he's an outstanding intellect, an outstanding judge, respected by everybody. Never had even a little blemish on his record. The FBI has, I think, gone through a process six times with him over the years where he went to higher and higher positions. Uh, he is somebody very special. As I understand it, Judge Kavanaugh spent uh, quite a bit of time with Senator Feinstein, and it wasn't even brought up at that meeting, and she had this information. So you would have thought certainly that she would have brought it up at the meeting, not wait till everything's finished and then have to start a process all over again. But with all of it being said, we want to go through a full process. I have great confidence in uh, the U.S. Senate and in their procedures and what they're doing. And I think that's probably what they're going to do. They'll go through a process and hear everybody out. So as you know, Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court fate hangs in the balance because of a 35-year-old allegation, which I have called a political hit. I completely stand by that. I believe it is now more than ever to be accurate. Democrats have shown themselves to be completely without honor, uh, to be disgraceful in their conduct in the Senate, disgraceful in the media's uh, collusion with this left-wing narrative of of not just the, this whole uh, assault, this alleged assault and all the rest of it, but just the way they've conducted themselves around Kavanaugh this whole time. I mean, this is an, an eminently qualified person for the Supreme Court, an excellent pick, really an establishment pick, quite honestly, if you... Look at who he's worked for, where he went to school, the opinions that he's written, all of that. Right? We can get beyond that. They, they tried to go after him on that, but there was really not much to it. Um, and so then they dropped this last-minute bombshell. I mean, it, it, was, it seemed too clear that the Democrats, their hysteria wasn't matching up with their efforts to stop him. Although in the earliest hours of the uh, Kavanaugh hearings, you'll remember you had Cory Booker and others claiming that the hearing could not go on, should not go on. They, they All this political theater. It was laughable. But then we saw what the real game was. Now we've seen it. And I, by the way, I, I do not believe people who say that she didn't want to come out. I do not believe people who say that this wasn't uh, that that the leak, because somebody leaked that this letter got to Feinstein, were to believe that that wasn't a, an explicitly political decision? Come on. Oh, yeah, Feinstein, she's, she's such a pro. She would never do anything like that. Okay, maybe she didn't. Who did? Who did she tell about it? Who did she show the information to? You know, th- these are the games that they play. This is the way that they operate. And now we've got a man who is facing... Uh, really the public ruination of his reputation, which is uh, the whole thing just makes me so mad. And is he even going to have an opportunity to push back, to fight back? Understand this. The accuser does not remember the month or the location of the attack, but she can tell you specific details about who was in the room, what they did, how they acted. And she kept this all to herself. For decades. But she can't remember the place where it occurred. Now, this is a big problem for me as I'm trying to analyze this because really the only way, the only way you could have any expectation whatsoever of clearing your name here would be a time and place discrepancy. 
She says Kavanaugh did this thing in this month in this house. And he says, well, I've, I've never been to that house. And by the way, I was at the beach with my family, you know, 300 miles away for that month. Now, now that might not even be possible. He might have been down the street, right? We don't know. But that's the only way that he'd be able to completely clear his name. Now, some of you are yelling at me probably right now saying, Buck, he doesn't need to clear his name. He didn't do anything wrong. I know. I agree with you. But the only way to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. I already believe Kavanaugh. I do not believe Professor Ford, his accuser. I do not believe her. That people can get mad at me for saying that, but, but I'm entitled to evaluate the evidence presented so far, and I find her to be not credible. Do I think that maybe she believes this happened to her and that Kavanaugh is the person she thinks is responsible for it? Yes, that might be true. But I do not believe that what she says happened the way she says it happened and that Brett Kavanaugh was the person who did it to her. I don't believe her. I'm not the only one who is clearly um, just outraged at this whole situation. And you have a lot of women who have come out to vouch for Kavanaugh. Play three and four. There are plenty of people who testified to him who were from both sides of the fence, um, you know, whether they were partners in law firms or, you know, um, other attorneys in other ways that have appeared before Judge Kavanaugh, just either side, male or female, have just attested to his integrity and um, how honorable he is in treating everyone. It's um, just so polar opposite of the Brett Kavanaugh that I've known for over 35 years. I was confused, surprised, shocked, and I still can't believe it. I never saw him out of control, drunk. He always um, retained his composure. He was a responsible guy. He was someone who did um, have a beer, but he was never out of control. He never became someone different after drinking. So the Judge Kavanaugh that I know, who, who act, has acted with unfailing character and integrity, has served with distinction for 12 years, I, I still strongly support his, his confirmation. I've known him for 12 years. He's, as I say, treated his law clerks, his family. Uh, during that time, I've known him with the utmost decency and respect. Um, and, and he has been a, just a tremendous public servant during the years that I've known him. Judge Kavanaugh has made it a point to champion people of all backgrounds, women and men. Um, that's something innate in his character is he selflessly has put others ahead of himself throughout his public career uh, with his family. Um, I've, seen, you know, I've seen him in many different settings and just have the utmost respect for Judge Kavanaugh. Now, I can tell you that what the left says about this and what many that are trying to take down Kavanaugh will say is, well, you could find people that will say this about any of the Me Too accused, so to speak. That you could find people that would say this about Harvey Weinstein, or you could find people that would say this about Matt Lauer, or you know, you, you go down this list of different people who, by the way, are accused of far more egregious conduct by multiple people involving recent recollections, and we're talking about adults. With Kavanaugh, it's a faint recollection, a foggy recollection that a woman claims to have from 35 years ago. I am 36 years old. It's a long time ago to ask somebody what happened 35 years ago. And especially when you're going to claim, well, I I know some things in great detail, but other things that I should know, I don't know at all. But what they'll say is you could find women to say this about anybody, including some of the worst. You know, you could find people that would say this about Bill Cosby or whatever. Now, I don't think you'd find women uh, who are as impartial and of the same, uh, you know, you're not going to find women that are working as you know federal judges or clerking for federal judges. I mean, the kind of people who have come out speaking for Kavanaugh, but but they'll they'll still say this. Right. 
But notice how they shift the goalposts. Because when we produce all these character witnesses for Kavanaugh, then they say, well, it doesn't matter because this was, it could have been a one-time thing. Maybe it was just was his one slip up, but that doesn't matter because, you know, it's disqualifying, they'll say. You'll say, well, hold on a second. Why can we not produce character witnesses when, when you keep saying, oh, you know, he had a friend who was drinking a lot and, you know, keg, big kegger Kavanaugh or whatever they call him, you know, Bart Kavanaugh, the keg master and all this. You know, they'll, they'll smear his character. And they're also now trying this campaign of, oh, well, maybe he knew more about this Judge Kaczynski and there's more information that's going to come out about what he knew about somebody else's Me Too movement moment. And you say, well, but he didn't do it. So he didn't do anything. So what does that what does that got to do with anything? They're just grasping because for them, the stakes are incredibly high because liberals have attached themselves, have attached their identities to progressive policies and the power necessary to implement them. And without that, they feel kind of rudderless and and they do go into a panic. And that's why this opposition to Trump really is a mass panic. And when you feel that way, when you feel like you are in a frenzy, uh, then you will do things that are deeply unethical and that are very wrong. Like, for example, what I mean, Lindsey Graham, I think, summarizes pretty well. Explain some of these things to me. Explain some of these uh, discrepancies, not in the woman's story even, but in what's happened the last couple of months regarding Kavanaugh. Play five. Here's what I'm going to do. This is not that complicated. It's a 36-year-old allegation. It's a serious allegation. Everybody needs to be heard, but also people need to defend themselves. I'm going to look at what she said about Brett Kavanaugh in high school and compare that to everything else I know about Brett Kavanaugh, including his denial, and I'll make a decision. If Ms. Ford really did not want to come forward, never intended to come forward, never planned to come forward, why did she pay for a polygraph in August, and why did she hire a lawyer in August if she never intended to do what she's doing? They can't beat him on the law, so they're trying to destroy his life. Yep, that's what's happening here. And who, who, yesterday, that's what I said, too, about the polygraph. As soon as this came out and we were finding out all the, all the details, I said, so she didn't want to come out, but she did. And by the way, folks, what does she think is going to happen? She's going to write this to a senator. I mean, this is the most contentious Supreme Court nomination uh, battle in decades. And you're just going to, you think you're going to drop this letter and maybe it gets, why write the letter if you didn't think it was going to be used? And if it was going to be used, you really think you're going to be able to remain anonymous? She thinks, right now at least, we're being told that she doesn't even have to show up and testify. Uh, her, her attorney, Deborah Katz, is saying that she might not even show play six. She is willing to cooperate. What she is not willing to do is to be part of this uh, bloodletting that happens in Washington. Um, we only need to look at the Anita Hill hearings to know what that's going to look like. And that's not a fair way to get at the truth. You know, she so she wants to be able to attack but not have to defend. She wants to be able to smear people without anyone being able to respond. I mean, Democrats, I keep saying they have no shame, but it's so apparent, isn't it? So what exactly are the rules here? Kavanaugh, they're supposed to derail. They've already said that they're postponing the vote on him. So they have at least temporarily derailed Kavanaugh's nomination. And now she she may or may not show up. We've got this hearing set for Monday. And if if she I'll say this, if she doesn't show, folks, 
and I, I don't care what anybody says about this, if she doesn't show, the Republicans in the Senate have a duty, an absolute duty to justice and honesty and truth to vote for Kavanaugh. Because if she doesn't show and some of them bail anyway on Kavanaugh's nomination, that just means that we've established a new standard where an anonymous, politically motivated and politically timed accusation from 30 years ago can destroy anybody. And I mean this. I don't want to live in a country where that's the case. I I don't want to be a part of our political life if, if, if that's going to be considered the way we do things. Because it means that good people who love their families, who... Who have, con- who have conducted themselves honorably, whatever, they're not going to want to go into government service. They're not going to want to take on hard jobs or hard roles because there are no rules. Anything goes, at least as far as the left is concerned. You, you know we're not going to retaliate in kind either. That's one of the things that's so frustrating because we're just not as foul and filthy as the left. Just by nature, we're not. They will do anything. We play by the rules, which is why I've been saying along, this, this is, I am more than ever Sure that Donald Trump was the right choice for us at this political moment, given what we see them doing to Kavanaugh, because it's really just a version of what they did to Romney and what they did to McCain. And Oh, yeah, that's right. They were terrible to McCain when it suited them. When McCain suited their purposes, they were they were great to him. So, you know, it's we've got a lot more of this. I also got to get to these these uh, declassifications. So that's um, because there's big stuff there. That's coming up in a minute, team. Eight, four, four, nine hundred two, eight, two, five. 844-900-BUCK. I'll be right back. It's going to be about uh, listening to what each party has to say, but I believe her. Listen, first of all, anybody who comes forward at this point um, to, to, to be prepared to testify in the United States Senate against someone who is being nominated to one of the most powerful positions in the United States government, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. And frankly, you know, I have personally prosecuted sexual assault cases, and my concern is, and she knows this, she is putting herself out there knowing that they're going to try and excoriate her. And she's doing it, I believe, because she knows that this is an important matter. It's a serious matter who serves on that court. And she has the courage to come forward. She has nothing to gain. So, Senator, what does she have to gain? So, given those. That's a lie. She has a lot to gain. She has fame and fortune and being a hero to everyone that she politically agrees with for the rest of her life to gain. So let, let's just let's be honest here about this. Right. Let, let's not let people like Kamala Harris, uh, Senator Harris, run around and say things that are obviously untrue. You know, just like, you know, I just started, you know, McCabe, the uh, deputy at the FBI, he just got a big book deal. Uh, who who wants to guess, would it be seven or eight figures, the book deal that Professor Ford would get were she able to derail, e- even if she's not successful in the end, just for what she's done here, making a stand for women. The fact that it doesn't matter. Folks, they still make movies about Dan Rather, who tried to stop Bush from being president. They make movies about his lies called Truth. They had an Anita Hill documentary on HBO, or an Anita Hill movie on HBO starring Kerry Washington. Okay? They make these people into heroes. She has a lot. Had anyone heard of her before? Oh my gosh. You know, she's, what, it's going to be hard for her in California now that she tried to stop Kavanaugh? Please. She's going to be treated like royalty the rest of her life because of this. And by the way, the way they talk about this sexual assault, can I just say, even based on the allegation, 
uh, I don't even know that this would have been prosecutable at the time if she had gone to police. There'd be no physical evidence of anything. I mean, not to get too into the details here, but, you know, somebody, somebody, they say they groped, groped her. We don't know where. Groped her, you know, her, her, was it her chest or was it just, you know, her side or, you know, we don't know. No specificity from what I understand. Oh, man. And this whole, this, it's, look, it's a, it's a lesson though in how the Democrats play this game. And uh, it's, they, they just will do anything, folks. They are, there's a, a savage desperation in the Democrat left's tactics against Kavanaugh. That's what's an, in a sense, it's reminiscent of the savage tactics they're using to try to take down Trump with this whole Russia thing. Now that's falling apart. But I think that the, I think that this uh, this Ford woman's uh, testimony, or if it doesn't happen, then then Kavanaugh absolutely should be confirmed without any problem. And if if it does happen, I think she's going to have some problems uh, because it, it's just not it is not a credible allegation to say you don't know when it happened or where it happened, but you're so you're so sure that it happened and who did it. Um, I've, I've, look, I can tell you this. I've never heard of that before. Uh, we got to talk about the declassifying though of documents. That's, uh, and maybe a little more Kavanaugh, but that's all coming up. Folks, I start every day the same way. A nice steamy cup of black rifle coffee because I'm not a commie. I love America and freedom. And if you fall into that category, which I know you do because you're listening to this show, black rifle coffee should be your coffee of choice. You don't need one of those super java roast mocha soy frappe latte things, okay? You just need the best coffee you can get anywhere. And whether it's coming to you ground, whole bean, or in K-Cups, Black Rifle Coffee has got you covered. In fact, I would advise you to go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your order. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. And not only will you start getting some coffee delivered to you, you can sign up as I have already signed up. For a coffee club where they deliver it to you every month. So I don't have to shop for coffee anymore. I just get my Black Rifle delivered to me. So join the Coffee or Die revolution. Go check it out for yourself. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The American people will find out that there was no basis for these uh, FISA warrants, that the uh, important information was kept from the court. Uh, there's going to be a disproportionate uh, uh, influence of the dossier. That's right, folks. The dossier, we told, is the basis for all this stuff. And we're going to find out because the documents will now be released. It has been amazing. I know I was on the show with you yesterday, and I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I, I saw the headline initially about about what uh, what had happened. The president had made the decision, and I would know he, he added in there he wants text messages from Comey. He wants text messages from McCabe, and that's, that's the president who wants that stuff. Uh, but when we first got the, the, the uh, breaking news, I didn't return to it on the show because we don't actually have the documents yet. Uh, they're in the process now of of being released, uh, but the president has made the decision and he has the authority to do this. He has declassification authority. He is in a position to, uh, of course, he's in the ultimate position to make this happen. And it was 
amazing yesterday after this happened to see how many journalists were immediately uh, finding ways to suggest this is a bad thing. Now, let's just put this in, in in the proper perspective here for a second, shall we? Journalists, generally speaking, are excited when they get leaks of any kind, okay? Journalists, as a general matter, will print stuff that is damaging to our national security in many cases, uh, and, and they really take the point of view that, you know, if it's in the public interest, they'll publish it, unless they're really, really, really uh, being reckless with national security. But even then, they'll do it. But here, we have the opportunity to get information that would be absolutely essential to figuring out if there was any merit whatsoever to the Russia collusion investigation, a story that the press has covered relentlessly. I mean, CNN is the Russia collusion Stormy Daniels network. I mean, that's what they do over there. That, that is that is every time I, I got a CNN monitor on somewhere, I'm like, oh, my God, more on this. You know, oh, Russia and Michael Cohen and the Trump Tower meeting this is all they do. And now they might actually get to find the most important information yet about the surveillance of Carter Page, about all this stuff. And you know what? You know what the truth is, folks? They don't want to know. Now, what does that tell you? This is where people like you and me can say this, this notion of our, of our nonpartisan, impartial media, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it really is. I mean, pe- people who, who take that line should just be a- a- ashamed of, of how brazenly false it is, right? There's just no way, absolutely no way, that anybody with, with a straight face should be able to say, oh, yeah, they're not rooting for a side here. Of course the media is rooting for a side. Of course the media is taking a position that they want the Russia collusion investigation. They don't even care what the outcome is. They just want it to go on and on and on. So that's, I, I think, very, that, that, that's very important. And here's the other part of this, too. There are a lot of folks who are going to look really, really dumb when, when all said and done here. Uh, and they work at places like CNN. And they work at places like the New York Times, the Washington Post. And I think that the only real salvation that they have, at least in their own minds, is that at least they did it for the hashtag resistance. And we all know that, right? You know that already. I know that already. At least when it's shown that there are a bunch of partisan hacks who were uh, uh, running with a story that they were really working with the FBI on. I mean, they were a part. They were active participants. The media didn't just cover this story, folks. The media created this story. The media helped fabricate the Russia collusion narrative. Um, and I think that's something that you, you we must keep in mind here. You cannot allow that to just uh, pass by. And, you know, Devin Nunes, who's been a bulldog on this one, and he's pointing out that, by the way, you know, there's also some other stories, other things here that need a whole lot more attention, like what were the Democrats doing when it comes to Russians? Play clip 10. This was always an investigation in search of a crime. Uh, I supported Mueller when he was first appointed, largely because I thought, great, we have a good guy that was there before. He'll come in quickly, see that there's no evidence of collusion, except maybe there might be collusion between the Democrats and the Russians, which there is. 
yeah. which the special counsel's done nothing about. Nobody's investigated it. Uh, and, you know, now this thing has just gone on so long that it's scary to see the mainstream media, many Americans who have bought into this Russia Kool-Aid. No, it's, it's, it's really, really scary. It is really scary because here's here's one thing I can tell you that I, I see and I deal with in the media all the time. A lot of folks, especially leftists, but people in general. They just would they'd rather be idiotic than admit that they were wrong. I mean, they, they'd rather make complete fools of themselves than say, yeah, you know what? I was wrong on this one. And I don't know how the the Democrat left wing mind is going to process these additional text messages that are going to be coming out in the next few days. And I'll just note that, you know, the information that's going to come out is going to be, I think, the closest thing that we could ever imagine to irrefutable when it comes to did the senior FBI folks, did people involved in this whole process stack the deck knowingly and willfully to try to get Trump? And was Carter Page a pretext for investigation? And was uh, Papadopoulos a patsy that they used to try to get damaging information on Trump. And, you know, I, I've even heard some and I can't confirm this yet, but from my sources down here, uh, which, you know, are well, the, the good thing about being down here is that I'm in the swamp. So I have a lot of connectivity to all the swamp creatures. The uh, the bad thing is that I'm in the swamp and I'm, and I'm around swamp creatures all the time. But I do have a whole lot of access and, and day in and day out. Now I can talk to people about what's going on and, and about what uh what's really happening behind the scenes, including in this investigation. And you're, you're going to have these text messages that are going to come out in the next few days. And that's going to be something of a game changer here for the narrative. But you're going to have Democrats who are still going to say, oh, you know, it's they're, they're going to find some way to believe that this wasn't what I've been telling you and what we've been telling each other all along this was, which was just a, a political, the, the biggest political scandal of, of my lifetime probably all of our lifetimes. I mean, I think it, it is, in many ways, it's worse than Watergate. And I know people say that. That's a phrase people said this about Benghazi. They said it about the targeting by the IRS. And people have used that phrase a lot. But, but this really is worse because it, it's one thing for a president to get caught up in a cover-up and have to get impeached. It's another thing for the permanent federal bureaucracy to use spying powers against American citizens and a presidential campaign to try to, in secret, throw the presidential campaign for you know in favor of the Democrat, and then using those same secretive powers to try to take down a sitting president. And that's why getting through this information is uh, so important. Um, Representative McCall on the House Foreign Affairs just talked a little bit about this procedure and why it's so important. Play clip eleven. I think uh, I think I know right now the procedure is. When the president orders this, it goes through the um, the uh, IC interagency intelligence community to declassify, protect sources and methods, and national security, uh, and then release the documents. And the fact that they use political opposition research as evidence to get a warrant to spy on an American citizen is so extraordinary. I think these are extraordinary times, and and I think it calls for uh, transparency. You know, sunlight's the best disinfectant here. I think the American people deserve to know what happened. Oppo research. That's what the dossier was. Oppo research. And that they 
used oppo research in order to justify this whole process remember this is confirmation of what we know but folks now it's getting to the point where they won't be able to argue there won't be another side of it it'll just be established fact that they use this dossier in this way is an astonishing abuse of power um, but i i, I want to prepare you for this what's going to happen once these redactions Assuming, by the way, and we'll get into this in a moment, there's some who are saying that maybe there's going to be kind of a revolt from within the FBI and the DOJ as if they don't work for the executive branch and they don't have to take orders from the president. Um, but there could be, uh, I think, a situation where there's a standoff there. We'll see. I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But the unredacted information, for example, from the Carter Page FISA application, remember, they looked at... I think if I had Carter on this show, I've definitely interviewed him on other shows. I've, I mean, I, you know, I've talked to Carter Page... The notion that this is somebody you have to monitor for national security purposes is is insane. It's insane. Uh, and that they would have renewed FISA warrants on them just goes to show you, one, the FISA court's a joke. It's a rubber stamp. And two, anybody who had a political axe to grind would who was in the national security apparatus would be able to easily abuse FISA, which is what they did. They're going to tell you, though, this is going to be the fallback that, oh, maybe the dossier is still true. And they're going to cling to that. And, and at the end of the day, what I think you'll see is Democrats circling around the notion of, oh, the, uh, the, the dossier can't be unproven or disproven, rather. You know, and, and so may, maybe it was valid. You know, the, these allegations, we can't prove that, you know, this, this thing did not happen. Therefore, pretending it did happen to get a FISA warrant on somebody is... You know, this is the upside down world that they live in. You know, it's also like how I mean, I'm seeing some people that are that are claiming not to bring this back to Kavanaugh, though we might address that again later on in this hour, that with Kavanaugh, there's a the woman, the woman here should be believed Ford should be believed just because women in the past have not been believed. I've seen this being said by 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 big journalists, you know, people with followings you know one of them i mean the 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 dumbest political analyst i know of is over at abc he's he's taking this 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 tact uh the the reality here is that if you don't evaluate these things on the merits on the individual merits the specifics then you're essentially corrupt allowing the whole system to be corrupted whether it's the allegations against kavanaugh or uh in this in this instance whether or not that the dossier was a legitimate means of getting a FISA warrant. I, I don't really want to hear that. Oh, well, you know, this is how things go in the past, or this is FISA is this process that, it, by the way, it's, folks, it's essentially an end run on the fourth amendment. Okay. I mean, is FISA even really constitutional would be an interesting and much more interesting debate than a lot of people seem to think it is. You know, the moment that you're talking about doing surveillance of, of an American citizen and there's really no actual due process or court process, it's just, well, you know, national security, man. That's a lot of power. And we had thought in the past, and our friend Andy McCarthy, who's been on this show countless times to talk about it, we had thought in the past, you know what, maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe because it's so specifically for national security, they won't abuse it in that way. You know, maybe they won't go to the, but nope, they have. Uh, and this is going to send shockwaves, shockwaves through the government. I'm telling you, um, the question is going to be one is, is Trump going to have to I, I think it'll take care of itself at some degree at the DOJ in terms of firings. Trump doesn't need to fire people because for the most part, they're just like struck and 
and and others. By the way, Bruce Orr hasn't been fired yet. I think you can, I think you can measure that guy's DOJ career from here on out with an egg timer. I don't think he's going to be around that long, uh, especially when more of these messages get out there. But uh, there's one thing I just want before we uh, before we go into a quick break here. One thing I want to say to you all too. Isn't it nice to know that we were right all along? All of you listening to this across the country, all of you who have been listening to this show, um, for over a year we've been talking about this, and we've been right pretty much every step of the way. Never been wrong, just a question of maybe, you know, thought one aspect of this would get would be bigger than it was or more attention was going to go to one thing or another, but, it, but the overall narrative, we've been 100% right about what's going on here about the lack of collusion between Trump and Russia, the campaign in Russia, about the abuse of FISA, about the weaponization of intelligence collection for political processes, about the deep state actors, this cabal at the Department of Justice and the FBI. We've been right about this all along. So just, it's not really so much to crow about this as it is to remember that. Because there were a lot of people that were saying this was a conspiracy, we're foolish to believe it, and and we stuck with it, and, and now we're at the point where it's obviously true. Now the question is, how, mu- how much of it can we prove to be true? We know the overall narrative is true. What, what can we do in terms of the details? Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We'll leave lines open for this hour if you uh, want to chat about anything. It would be great to hear from you. And uh, we, got, we got some more on this because he, here's, here's a thought I want to put out there for you. What if the deep state decides to dig in their heels and some of them say, we're just not going to release this information? Questions not as crazy as you think, folks. We'll come right back to it. To basically order the Department of Justice and the FBI to release this information, even that which was redacted earlier, it's really just pushing this envelope. And I think it's making a lot of law enforcement officials, Department of Justice officials, and intelligence community officials very concerned about the negative impact and consequences of doing that. If they really believe that this is going to have serious uh, impact on our national security, law enforcement, and judicial process, they have an obligation, since they took an oath of office to the Constitution of the United States, not to Mr. Trump, to uphold their responsibilities and their agency and department's uh, authorities. I mean, is he saying, you know, just don't do it? Don't declassify? Because... The president has the right to tell them to declassify. I mean, is the former CIA director really just saying that there should be effectively a a classification mutiny against the president that they shouldn't uh, that they shouldn't abide this? This is a lawful order. There's nothing. See, this is where you see that the the anti-Trump folks really lose it is that they think that just because Trump does something, it must be not okay for him to do it. They don't understand that he's the president again because they don't accept that he's the president. But this isn't just some random wacko. This is the former CIA director, Obama's really closest national security advisor, maybe after Valerie Jarrett. But, you know, because she knows a lot about national security. Uh, But, you know, this is this is a guy who was Obama's uh, counterterrorism czar in the White House. I mean, he's obviously a far left loon Democrat. And he's saying that they have an obligation to uh, not do what Trump says if they think it'll danger national security. I mean, he's just telling them to do not comply. Now, I don't even think this is that unusual when you consider that that was with Sally Yates, the acting attorney general, who's also a hashtag resistance member. That was what she did. She would not comply. It was a lawful order. I mean, what the what the president 
was doing the uh, the travel ban, the Supreme Court said, yeah, it's a tra- travel ban. You're allowed to do it. I mean, th- this, this is just people allowing their ideology to supersede their obligations to their offices, to their oaths, and to the country. Their ideology comes first. Uh, so, you know, and, and it's so fascinating, isn't it? They really don't want this information to get out. I mean, how long are we supposed to hold this? Un- until 2020, until, you know, there's a new election? L- l- let me guess. Just like how the Democrats don't want a vote on Kavanaugh until, I don't know, maybe sometime in the middle of November, the Democrats also, I'm willing to guess, don't want declassification of essential documents about the origins of the Russia collusion investigation until, oh, I don't know, maybe January 2021 or so. I got I got a feeling that's their view on this one. Oh, how convenient. And I know none of you are shocked at all, right? Ah, man, it's it's tough, folks. Fighting for the truth is tough, isn't it? It's a lot of work for all of us, but I hope you're having some fun, too. I'm really enjoying talking to all of you. We got more. Stay with me. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. This is the president intervening in a specific case pending investigation that potentially implicates the president of the United States. So that is one huge problem that the Justice Department and FBI and members of the Intelligence Committee are most concerned about also is that people's identities could be revealed, uh, who are sources, and beyond that, other people around the world who are sources are going to look at what's happening in this political circus with this president and believe their identities won't be protected. Uh, and that will cause them to cease cooperating with us, and that endangers the country. I don't know how many times they're going to run that play call, uh, but it's laughable that they're saying this is going to somehow endanger national security. This is really full transparency for the American people. This will be all the information, really, that is that I think the American people will need to see, because for two years we've been force-feeding this Russia Kool-Aid to the American people. There's no danger to national security. And nobody really thinks there is, Um, you know, nobody really, uh, you know, believes there is. This is just a situation where they have a a storyline that they're going to stick to because it's politically convenient for them right now to do so. I mean, this notion that, you know, I I like that Nunes is just calling it out. He's like, what what do you mean? They've they've tried this before. We've been here before. They they redacted, folks. I mean, they redacted as nationally security, as national security sensitive that there were uh, there was a seventy thousand dollar. I think it was table bought for Andy McCabe at the FBI. That's just hiding government malfeasance and waste to avoid embarrassment with a, under the rubric of, well, we can't allow this because it's classified. That, that's all that is. It's a lie. Right. They've already lied to us. And, and it, it is it is laughable. That uh, that at this point in time, they can't look if there are some names in there. Well, that's why the that's why the process is happening right now. The president said you got to declassify this. And, you know, I could I could talk to you. Look, I talked to the president about this issue specifically. I kind of want to I want to give you more. But, you know, it's it's all going up on the hill dot com as we speak. Um, I can tell you that uh, there's 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 going to be big there's going to be big stuff that. 
you see in this when it when it is released. Uh, and the the people that are involved in this process now are they're knowledgeable enough about what's in there that I don't think that the the deep staters are going to be able to play the usual game of hide the football here. I, I don't think they can get away with it the same way. So that's important to keep in mind. That's I think something that we all need to to remember. Um, you know, N- Nunes making the case. Oh, by the way, Jay, Jay Sekulow is out there also making the case. Play 14. The American people are going to have a look, finally, at what actually was the beginning. What was it that started this inquiry in the first place? The information is going to show some type of potential surveillance inside the, the Trump campaign. This would be an eye-opener. This would be shocking. This would create a situation where you have to look at the legitimacy of the beginning of the inquiry. The media leak strategy in and of itself can be a violation of the law. So there, there is a host of problems uh, from the top to bottom on this. But you do have to point out that this inquiry started well before the appointment of the Office of Special Counsel, before Bob Mueller's appointment. And Lisa Page testified under oath that there was no evidence of uh, any collusion. And and let me t- and take it a step further here. Peter Strzok in those messages back and forth said there was no there there. Folks. He he made uh, Jay Sekulow, you know, as the president's lawyer, made made two very important points here. One is about specifically surveillance, and and from what I am hearing, and again, I, I'm no longer on the inside. If I were, I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it because it would be illegal. Uh, but from what I am hearing from sources now, the surveillance—it's not just—it's not necessarily just the FISA stuff on Carter Page. When you're talking about surveillance, there's other stuff. Don't also forget entirely. Don't leave out of your of your thinking as we get more of this information that there was that whole unmasking that remember all the unmasking that was going on. A lot of very unusual requests from senior officials, including some senior officials that we've seen now that are partisans who were part of this whole narrative of Russia collusion. So what were you know we that 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 I'm not sure we're going to have revelations in the next few days but you've got to you got to keep that in the back of your mind. But what if they did more than just uh run a FISA warrant on Carter Page? What if there was other stuff? What if they've tried to put I don't know a human source maybe near the campaign and were actively what if some branch of the national security apparatus in this country was engaged in even more intrusive surveillance of the Trump campaign than what we've already been told. That's just remember that that is a possibility here. Remember that 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 I've told you that that's something that we should be thinking about. I can neither confirm nor deny, but I've heard some things and I know some people. Uh, the documents getting declassified though is going to finally bring us to a place where I think there'll be it'll be inescapable. The conclusion will be inescapable that this was a, a fix. Uh, this was an effort to uh, to end this president's time in office, really. Uh, and, and there was also an urgency to it. And there was a and there's been a lot of so, you know, there's an urgency to get the narrative out there. And now there's also been a lot of slow rolling on the other side to prevent um, to prevent any of this information from getting out there you know they wanted to nail trump with the russia tower russian uh, ta- uh trump tower meeting and you know they, they want to get all that out there and work with the media and really use the media as a mouthpiece and the mouthpiece also relying on a lot of leaks and a lot of sourcing from inside the government meanwhile 
you know, Trump is trying to, uh, you know, run the country still and dealing with all this. And they're at every stage refusing to turn over documents at every stage, pretending that they don't have an obligation to listen to the president. And, and folks, just think about this. I mean, if Hillary had won, none of this would be coming to light. None of it. You wouldn't we wouldn't know anything about what about the Carter Page Pfizer would know anything about any of this surveillance and all the stuff that's gone on here would have gotten completely buried and they would all be heroes in the Clinton administration behind closed doors. And that's who'd be running the national security apparatus, of the country. What you think that you think that they would only do this one time? You think that they'd only put their thumb on the scale for the Democrats and for the left in this election because of Trump? Please. One other thought that I've had, and I got to tell you, I, I don't, I don't think I'm alone here. Okay, so we're finding out about this effort to try to go after Trump that involved a a cabal within the government apparatus. We're finding that out, um, but we wouldn't have found out anything um, if we hadn't had Trump win. I don't think this is the first time this kind of thing has happened, folks. Uh, I, I think if if we now and I know now I am com- this is speculation. The stuff I was saying to you before, that's just I've got sources, but I don't have confirmation. Now I'm speculating. But given everything that we know about and I know I'm the one who told you Michael Crichton says speculating is trash, but sometimes it's fun. Uh, given what we know that they, they did to Trump. I do not find it hard to believe that some of these same characters, remember, we're talking about a lot of people who have been governed a very long time. I do not find it hard to believe at all that they could have done this in other ways and to other administrations, to the political opposition. What what about James Comey and McCabe and Strzok and Brennan and Yates and go down this list? What about that makes you think that it's really only Trump that they would have had this much of an aversion to? They're hysterical about Trump. I'm sure they also don't like Republicans in general, though. You know, some of the national security people were, you know, they're okay with Bush, fine. But some of these people, I'm telling you, I I think that uh, in very important... Look, Comey kneecapped the Bush administration on on the whole surveillance stuff. And Comey, is he's always the center. He's always the hero of his own narrative. You know, all six foot eight of him. As I've said recently, Comey is like a walking, talking, name your own caption contest with the stuff he puts on Twitter. He's like, you know, putting some weird inspirational quote, looking like a nerd standing in front of the national park somewhere. I'm like, who are you, man? What a weirdo. It's a little scary that some of these people are the ones that run the national security apparatus. You know, that's that's part of this. too. I'm like, John Brennan was CIA director. Wow. That guy. People say that he was great and he was really good at his job. I'm like, my gosh, I can't believe when I was a CIA, these are the people that I was answering to people like John Brennan and, and, you know, Mike Haley. I mean, Hayden's smart. He's just look, he's just been he's Trump derangement syndrome is somewhat contagious. I think he's just caught a, a pretty serious case of it. He's not, you know, he, he's not chronic with Trump derangement syndrome necessarily the way Brennan is, but I think he's pretty close. No, we'll see. And, you know, Adam Schiff, I'm going to enjoy watching Adam Schiff get all shifty and try to tell us how, you know, there's nothing to see here with these revelations. There's going to be nothing that comes out of these uh, declassifications. That's really important. It's just, you know, because what else are they going to do? 
What do you think they're going to do over at CNN? That's what I really want to know. They're just going to cover Stormy Daniels' latest excerpts from her book. I saw some of those today. It's amazing they've created it. They've, they act like she's some kind of left-wing hero, some heroine for like women's rights or something. I mean, Stormy Daniels is, you know, Stephanie Clifford, I think, is her, is her real name. I mean, I feel like we should call her Stephanie Clifford. But, uh, you know, she is a very damaged person. And, you know, there are a lot of people that, oh, she's been exploited in so many ways for so long, I suppose. It's not surprising that people are now exploiting her for their own political purposes. But, man, the, the book excerpts that are out and, and, and that people are reporting on them with such glee. You know, the, the same left-wing journalists I know who are saying, oh, Trump is so coarse, he's so crass, I just can't handle it. Are, are tweeting out these excerpts from Stephanie uh, Clifford or whatever, Stormy Daniels. No one will know I'm talking about, so i got to say Stormy Daniels. They're, they're the same ones that are tweeting out with glee her descriptions of the president's anatomy. I mean, this is really gross, really low lowbrow and and gutter stuff. Uh, but that's that's what they're doing. You know, the, the media is going to, just like they love the Omarosa book. By the way, the Woodward book is... It's like a review. It's like you're studying. I'm going to be honest with you. It's like a, you know, when you're cramming for final exams and you're kind of, you know, trying to create a narrative in your head of like a whole year of, you know, modern European history or something. The Woodward book is a pretty boring recitation of everything that we already know about Trump. I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I'm about 100 pages into it. I'm like, what is this? And then this thing happened. And then that thing happened. And it's like, yeah, we know all this. People act like he's some great shakes. I got to say, this, this, the book so far is really boring. There's not a lot in it. There's a couple of things that I'm sure are highly contested within the White House in terms of whether they're actually accurate or not that are, that are, that are moderately interesting. But for the most part, I mean, he's just, man. And, you know, Woodward to me now is an example of somebody who hasn't had anybody around him in a long time who will tell him the truth about what he's writing. Everyone just says, oh, he's so great. He's so amazing, you know. Woodward is like the Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's right. I said it. The Bruce Springsteen of nonfiction in that everyone's like, oh, you can't say that about him. He's so amazing. Yeah, actually, if you listen to it recently, it's just not that good. All right. If you read a Woodward book, you'll see what I mean. Everyone's like, oh, Woodward is amazing. Woodward's a great live performer. No, nah, not really. Not really. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of nonsense, if you ask me. A lot, a lot of malarkey. Uh, is, is hokum is a word, isn't it? Is it kind of like that? Anyway, all kinds of... Am I, am I making that up? Isn't that a word? It's kind of like malarkey. Now now I'm stretching. Now I'm going beyond my... What, I'm right, right? Cockamamie. That's another one. Am I right, Am I right, Mike, or no? You know, old man, sure, old-timey right. words I'm going for. Yeah, I'm right. Thank you. Of course I'm right. All right, all right, all right. I know. I got to hit a break. We got more. We got more. Stay with me, team. We'll be right back. a fun little uh, change of pace here because I haven't talked about something kind of fun and silly like this in a while. we got more stuff coming up the next hour for News of the Day. But uh, Berkeley City Council passes resolution. This is up on thehill.com requiring vegan Mondays. Brandon, do you have any dietary restrictions? What what would I have to pay you to no, get I you to want... go fully vegan? Like what would some how much money would someone have to give you to get you to go vegan for a year? 
For me, it would be a lot of money. I mean, it would be like an embarrassingly high amount of money that nobody would ever give me. I don't think I could do it. I'm kind of like uh, wimpy where the, I need a hamburger every day. I can't do it to survive. I can't. Hamburger every day. You mean you're amazing and you're an American because a hamburger every day sounds exactly. like a great idea to me. Yeah, exactly. No, but I, I just think this is funny. Officials in Berkeley uh, are saying that vegan only food will be served at city meetings and events take place on Monday. See, here's my thing about vegans. It's not a dietary need. It's like a lifestyle choice, right? They, they don't believe in, in, in cruelty. Yeah, I know some of them think it's really good for you, but I'll be honest. I, I, don't, I don't think that vegans... I, I've talked to a lot of docs who say that vegan is not the way to go. And you always... Every time there's a major weather event, people always share photos of the vegan. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. If you haven't seen it, if you do a Google search, you'll see it. They do a they, they share the vegan section at a at a grocery store and even with like impending natural disaster people don't want those tofurkey patties they just don't want them they just don't care does doesn't matter if if the end is nigh they're not going to eat that uh that soy you know fake chicken tenders or whatever they do what what do they make the fake chicken tenders out of is it saitan is that right? Or soy? I don't know. Brandon, you have no idea what I'm talking about. No you? clue. No clue, right? I saw there's something, uh, there's some kind of a meat thing that's made with jackfruit now. I saw that in the store recently. So, you know, I'm learning all kinds of new things about the, uh, you know, about the way that people eat. But anyway, I just think it's funny that vegans, you know, vegans are also the, pr- I'm just going to say it, folks, vegan, I look, if you're a vegan, you're listening to the show, you're part of the team and I love you. But vegans, I've also found in my experience, are the preachiest about the food stuff, too. You know, you tell a vegan that you like veal, which is delicious. Uh, they look at you like you've told them that you collect human heads in jars in your basement. Like you tell a vegan that you think it's OK to uh, to eat red meat every day and they think you're both destroying the planet and your intestinal tract. You know, they're really. They're, they're, they tend to be true believers. So look, hey, to each his own. People can eat whatever food they want. But in, in Berkeley, California, they're now v- mandating vegan Mondays, folks, at, all, at city events. Every Monday, it's only vegan food. The only saving grace for vegans is, you know, oh, wait, no, I was going to say chocolate's vegan. But you know what? It's not milk. It's not vegan. So I know you can get vegan chocolate, but I mean, come on. Come on. It's like putting soy in your milk, right? I mean, that's, that's no fun. Uh, we got a big third hour coming up, team. So that's going to be exciting stuff. Don't go anywhere. And uh, also, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to send me some roll call thoughts last minute. You know, folks, just earlier on in the show, we had somebody say that uh, they got banned from Facebook. And I said, why? He said, well, it's because, you know, I got involved with some leftists and we're arguing. And, you know, I've heard this too many times from too many people, my friends. It, it's time that we all start looking for alternatives. And I've got a new social media site where there's absolutely no censorship or left-wing monitoring or any of that stuff. No conversational health initiatives. You're not going to get shadow banned. You can just join with like-minded folks and talk about whatever you want, share photos, pictures, you name it. And it's just getting started. Snippy.com. You can join totally free. I've got a Snippy account. Go to Snippy.com. You'll see that they have all the functionality of an important social media site but they don't have any of the political bias or agenda. You can also download their app. Check it out for yourself. Get the conversation started. Go to snippy.com, set up your totally free account, and just start posting. Folks, snippy.com, I'll see you there myself. Folks, I'm not sympathetic 
toward Manafort. Okay, M- Manafort is a a shady in in general. Now I have some sympathy for him, obviously, because I talked about him on the show. But you know, he he is he was up to his eyeballs in shady dealings. Lots of bad stuff going on. Lots of things that he was he was into that. You know, it's just it's just not defensible, right? I mean, you know, if you have to pay your taxes and I have to pay my taxes, well, then why the heck doesn't this guy have to pay his taxes, right? I mean, that just doesn't seem, and not a little bit here or there. I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. Now, that said, uh, there is a clear political headhunter here with Mueller and with Manafort. Um, and you see that today. This is from the New York Post. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's plea deal with Paul Manafort took unusual steps to undercut, undercut President Trump's ability to pardon his one-time campaign chairman, a report said Tuesday. The deal contains language that appears intended to discourage Manafort from seeking a pardon and to limit the impact of a pardon if Trump were to grant one. Uh, what is most concerning to me is that, this is a quote, is that Mr. Mueller, who is a part of the executive branch, and is supposed to follow all DOJ's policies and procedures, is specifically seeking to impede the ability of the president to exercise his constitutional pardon authority. Uh, this is, 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 is amazing, folks. Quote, these waivers are troubling because they have to do with future events we can't predict. They did a pretty good job of hiding what they did, but as part of the agreements, sometimes the most important things you want to bury a little. The 17-page deal doesn't stop Manafort from seeking a pardon, but some lawyers say it appears that Manafort had to promise not to seek another form of presidential clemency that could allow him to keep property worth tens of millions of dollars instead of forfeiting it it to the feds, as the plea bargain calls for. Uh, So, you know, but now look, some people are are disagreeing on this, but I got to say, I'm not, and this is, by the way, this is actually a political piece that they are, uh, reporting on. Um, so special counsel's uh, Robert Mueller's plea agreement struck with Manafort contains provisions that appear intended to... Okay, legal experts with sweeping views of sweeping views of executive power and attorneys advocate for broad use of clemency. You know, I wish they would get into... Um, the agreement says prosecutors can come after the five identified homes or apartments, three bank accounts, and a life insurance policy now or at any point in the future without regard to the status of his criminal conviction. Another, here, this is the folks are, these are the details I was trying to get into in this. Another part of the deal says that if Manafort's guilty pleas or convictions are wiped out for any reason, prosecutors have immediately have the right to charge him with any other crimes he may have committed previously or confessed to during recent plea negotiations. Wow. It does appear this document was created with clemency in mind, according to one lawyer, this plays out and later we get a pardon of some kind we're going to have a lot of uh, questions of first impression then we're going to be in the courts on this it'll be fascinating folks folks this is what i mean this is what i mean this this is straight up this is headhunting this is trying to get a scalp they're going after manafort and in such a way that they're trying to do an end run on presidential pardon power there should be nothing absolutely nothing that Manafort uh, is, or that that Mueller can do, that man uh, that uh, Manafort could not have undone via pardon. Okay, the the president's power of pardon should be well beyond any machination of Robert Mueller and his merry little band of you know Democrat attack dogs, which is what he's got. I mean, you go back and you look at Weissman 
Uh, you, you look at some of the prosecutors that Mueller has on his team, not only are they obviously Democrats and, and clear partisans, but these are people who have a very sketchy history of bringing charges against people that are trumped up, that are politicized. I mean, these are bad folks. They're bad people. They've managed to just stay in the, you know, they stay in these circles. It's very clubby when you get to the senior levels of these government agencies. You know, people know each other and they watch each other's backs. And it's, you you know, if you start to think of DOJ and CIA and these other places more like a giant fraternity and sorority, then it makes a little more sense how they act the way that they do. But, But the fact that Mueller is specifically trying to find some justification here, trying to find some way to prevent Trump from even being able to pardon Manafort, just goes to show you that he really thinks that he should be able to override the president. You know, he he thinks he should get the leverage to stop a presidential pardon, and that is absolutely ridiculous, okay? The, The presidential pardon power is in the Constitution, all right? Mueller is some figment of Congress's imagination. I mean, this never should have happened. I, I do not believe there should be such a thing as a special counsel. I don't believe in it. So there's that. And there, and I'm not the only one. Congress repealed the original, you know, the special prosecutor. Now it's the special counsel. They keep going back and forth on this. It's just a political tool. There is a check on presidential power. It's called the Congress. There's a check on all government power. It's called congressional oversight and the ballot box. We do not need wannabe government bureaucrat crusaders running around making decisions for us and trying to thwart the will of the duly elected president of the United States. That's not how this is supposed to go. And and I know that we started out, we're talking about Manafort here, who's obviously slimy, he's obviously shady. But if they can do this to Manafort, they can do this to anybody, don't you see? They set the precedent here. And you and I, folks, we are about principle. We are about what the government should be or should not be able to do within its power, not who we like and who we don't like. Is this person a good person or a bad person? Now, what does the law say? What do the facts tell us? I, it makes perfect sense to me that what, what, what Mueller's doing here is saying, okay, you know, if you do take a presidential pardon and they leave out some charge as part of that pardon, so it's really they're relying on there being some weak seam in the process. If that happens, uh, we'll go after you with, with whatever we can again. This is why also the fact that he's got two trials. I mean, Manafort already had a trial in Virginia. He's got another trial that he took a a plea deal on in D.C. This is nonsense. I mean, that the federal government can kind of sit and wait and bring a charge and then bring a different charge later. And it's really all charges for the same underlying conduct. You know, this is Kafka-esque. There is no justice really here. This is a political process that is playing out with the law as a weapon. And the fact that you might have a, a Manafort pardon uh, in the works here. By the way, I, I don't think that a pardon for Manafort would be would be just. I'll tell you that right now. I don't I don't agree with that. I think a commutation of his sentence from ten years, you know, to two, given that he's an older man and he didn't, you know, he didn't steal anyone's money. He only stole Uncle Uncle Sam's money, folks. You know, he didn't kill anybody. He didn't do anything terrible. You know, commute his sentence down. He's still a convicted felon, still has paid millions of dollars, still has been through the ringer. I mean, I'm not saying give him a full pardon. By the way, even if somebody gets pardoned, this gets left off the uh, off the table most of the time. Even if somebody's pardoned, folks, when they're Manafort, they've already been 
He's been humiliated. He's suffered. He's, you know, lost countless nights sleep. He's had federal agents raid his home at, in pre-dawn hours. I mean, you know, it's not like this has been some walk in the park already. Now he's going to face 10 years in federal prison on top of it. I mean, look, it should be it should be, you know, financial restitution or maybe six months in a, you know, in a halfway house or something. I mean, this this it's just outrageous. It really is. And we all know that they went after Manafort because he's tied to Trump and they just want to have, you know, felony, felony, felony. They just want that anywhere near Trump to, to try to taint the president a little bit, even though the president had nothing to do with any of this. And Mueller's team are a bunch of hacks, but, you know, Mueller's allowed this to get way out of control. And I mean, the guy, I, I think, is, is really now engaged in, you know, a shameful political witch hunt. And I do think it is a witch hunt. <laughs> it's so funny, all these stupid news anchors go on TV, witch hunts don't get felony prosecutions. Actually, you imbeciles, witch hunts burned innocent people at the stake. That's why they were witch hunts, okay? They, they, they thought they found witches, and they didn't, just like Mueller. They thought that they found people that colluded or did something, and they didn't, or, you know, that they want to punish them for the collusion that they can't prove. So I just want to note that there's really a sense of lawlessness. They always say the president's above the law. Well, here you have a, a federal prosecutor who's buddy-buddy with Comey, buddy-buddy with all these people, who's trying to make sure that he can do an end run on the due, duly uh, enumerated constitutional authority of the president to pardon whomever the heck he wants for whatever he wants. We'll be right back. I know there's different job sites out there uh, and you can go to the wrong ones and waste a lot of time if you want. That's not smart, though. Okay, that's not a good way to spend your time. You know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from sites like Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, try it totally free. Listeners of this show, just go to post your job to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. This make America great mindset is not only flawed, it's rooted in fear. And it favors an imagined past over a realistic future. What time period did they want to wind the clock back to? What century? What decade? What year? Certainly, it was not when people were enslaved. Certainly, it was not when segregation was the law of the land. You know, folks, the the Democrat opposition to Trump is is so uh, repetitive. And, you know, there you have Eric Holder, who I would just note, thinks that he should run for president, which just goes to show you that here's a guy who has no political sense of what his skills are, what his popularity would be. I mean, I think he's completely... Uh, completely out of his mind. If he, if he's, I mean, look, he's entitled to try, but it, there's absolutely no way that, that Eric Holder is going to be uh, is going to be the next president of the United States. I think we could all, pro- I think even all my Democrat friends would would agree on that one. But you'll notice that that they're they're trying to tie the president's slogan "Make America Great Again." You know, a, a very very basic 
very straightforward promise, really. It's not just a slogan. It's not just a, a mantra. It's a promise, right, that that is what President Trump will do. And then they try to twist it and they try to make it a, a negative. And these are people, and certainly Eric Holder is in that category, who were willing to say that, you know, hope and change was some kind of a blueprint for governance, which when you think about it, I mean, is, is laughable. I mean, I, I don't find hope and change inspiring at all. I think hope and change is the least interesting, uh, the least interesting thing that anybody could say about what they're going to do in politics. That's like saying, you know, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to eat and I'm going to breathe. OK, yeah. So tell me something else. Tell me something else that's that's going on here. Um, so I just note that the the way that they go after Trump, it's a reminder to all of us. I mean, these people on the left, you know, the Eric Holders and the uh, the Schumers, uh, the Pelosi, Obama, Biden, you know, they go after Trump with this left wing playbook all the time. And they're really trying to take a a negative view, not just of Trump, but of, of all of his supporters and every and all of their aspirations. You know, there really is a disdain on the left, not just for Trump, but for Trump supporters, for people that vote for and believe in this president. You know, people that want to wear a Make America Great Again hat uh, are despised by those on the left. And there's such a minimal effort to try and win over any Trump voters. And that's a that's a real characteristic. Um, that's a real characteristic of how the Democrats are engaged in politics day in and day out now. They don't really look for converts. They're hunting heretics. They're, they do not have a belief in bringing uh, Republicans over to their side or trying to win over. You know, they're they're not talking to independents right now. You're seeing the Democrats laid bare in that they know this is going to be a base turnout midterm. It always is in the midterms. And that's what my my concern is that Republicans right now, and there's some polling to support this, feel like, you know, things are so good. It'll all be fine. No, no, no. If you leave it to things are so good, it'll all be fine. Here's what I can tell you. The crazy people who were showing up at Kavanaugh hearings dressed in giant condoms and handmade costumes outfits, they will be the ones who determine who's in control of Congress for the next two years. If you think that, oh, you know, especially my listeners right now, folks, everyone, everyone who's listening to this broadcast in some of these key races, places even like Texas where Beto Robert, this whole Beto thing is so transparent. Uh, Robert O'Rourke, um, who is trying to beat Ted Cruz there, you know, you, you guys better show up and vote for Cruz or, or else you're going to have uh, really a, a Senate seat that gets gets just pilfered in the middle of the night. You know, we can't have that, especially in Texas, in our in our home base. You need people to show up. But because things in a sense, Trump may almost be a a a, a victim of his own success. Um, he may be a victim of his own success in that the economy is so good, he's doing so well that there really isn't uh, much of a of a motivation for a, a lot of people on the GOP side of things to show. I mean, I want to say much of a motivation. They don't feel fired up. They don't feel like they absolutely, positively have to show up at those polls and and do their best to make sure that we keep a Republican-controlled Congress. Look, I mean, when I talked to the president today about it, you know, he was very clear that it's it's Congress that's the problem with with immigration and and the wall and and the problem with, and he said this many times before I know, but you know, having him say it face to face, you know, it's it's an issue that you don't have that you essentially have a handful of Democrat senators who get to control the Congress and and make sure that they don't, they can't get anything done. 
You know, they get to stop legislation from going through because of this 60 vote threshold for getting on the filibuster, which, which, my friends, this is new. This doesn't have to be there. It should be gone. It should be gone. We, we don't need a filibuster. We don't we shouldn't have a filibuster. Fifty one votes, folks. Majority rule in the Senate, just like it is in the House. This is total nonsense. I mean, if I, if I were Mitch McConnell, I would have gotten rid of the whole thing. Because, you know, people say, oh, well, Democrats will do the same thing. But by the way, I do believe that if the Democrats take control of the uh, of the Senate and then the House, uh, you will see a move to just go all in on the most left wing left wing uh, legislation legislation that they can. You know, I I do think that you'll see uh, that they'll push all the boundaries as far as they can. And the good thing about well. It's a good and a bad thing. The good thing about Democrat legislation is that when they actually do get through things that are far left, uh, we have to suffer the consequences and we see how bad it is. The bad part is that we have to suffer the consequences. And I think that's something that will will definitely happen. But, you know, going into this midterm, I got to say, I I have real concerns, um, despite the fact that you're hearing all this, you know, all this garbage from the left about, you know, how really just vote against Trump because, or vote against whatever Republican is in your district or your state because Trump's a racist. That, that seems to be the primary pitch. They've moved away from Russia because this, this latest slew of declassifications, I mean, this is just going to gut the Russia collusion narrative. And I'm actually convinced now that we, we may, for the first time, I, I'm starting to think that we may see some, some senior DOJ or FBI folks, other than McCabe, who lied under oath, but uh, some others that may may face criminal charges uh, because they if they were actively involved in a conspiracy against the president and they took and essentially they they're involved in conspiracy against the United States, folks, because that's, by the way, the charge that Mueller keeps using. It's very broad, sweeping charge conspiracy against the United States. Oh, I want to be you know, I'm going to charge him with conspiracy against the United States. Well, if you work at the DOJ, if you work at the FBI and you're working against the sitting president, trying to get him impeached, trying to slow down or destroy his administration in some way. Isn't that conspiracy against the United States government? It's conspiracy against the chief executive in the White House. So I, I think that's a big yes. And to be honest with you, I really do. And uh, I feel like if I could get the president to appear right next to me right now, he'd probably he'd probably agree with me. So. You know, this is uh, it's going to be tight. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to being able to bring you a lot of election coverage. I think we're going to do something really cool at the Hill, which where I know it's me. And I don't get to spend enough time with my man, Joe Concha, who's the other conservative over there. You know, I'm I'm always swimming with the libs over at the Hill, which is fine. You know, we have a very cordial relationship with my liberal colleagues, but it's not it'd be nice to have a little more uh, a little more team conservative sometimes. I'm just saying I'm just saying we'll be right back. And that's what China did. They rebuilt their country with tremendous amounts of money pouring out of the United States. And I've changed that around. And if you look at what's going on, our market is going up like a rocket ship. I don't want their market to go down, but their market is down 32 percent in three months. When you have $375 billion in trade deficits and then many billions of dollars in other liabilities of all different types, You have to do something about it. We are the piggy bank to the world. We've been ripped off by China. We've been ripped off by, excuse me, Mr. President, the European Union, of which you're a part of. 
We've been ripped off by everybody. I want to protect the American worker, the American farmer, the ranchers, the companies. And we're not being ripped off, you will see, in a little while. This may be the single biggest gamble of Trump's entire presidency. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to the president about this today, which is my only... That's the only thing that, that I that I didn't get to touch on in their in our 45 minute long round the world. It was it was incredible, as, I, as I've been telling you, uh, I didn't get to speak to, to the president about this. But this is, I think, one of the one of the biggest gambles, probably the single biggest gamble, because he's gone against the consensus opinion, as we've discussed so many times. He has risked the economy, which is the single biggest, other than judges, by the way, he's been amazing with judges. I mean, forget about Kavanaugh for a second. I'm talking about the federal judiciary in general. Trump is me remaking the federal judiciary. So that's that's profound. That's that really matters. Uh, but, you know, he is doing this without any of the sort of mainstream economists backing him. And he's look, he's playing with fire. But if he gets this right, I mean, think about the the prosperity for this country. If he can stop China from, by the way, do we have the, the unique way that he says China? Is that something that I was? Where is it? We, China. There we go. Uh, you know, if if he if he stops them from continuing to to really piggyback off the U.S. economy in an unfair way, um, this could lead to whole new horizons of economic productivity. Keep in mind, folks. You know, we shouldn't be prisoners of our own economic expectations. If you go back 100 years in time and what we're dealing with now, the global economy that we have now would have been unthinkable 100 years ago. And we keep looking at a very small period of, let's say, the last three or four decades. For, you know, And we really look at that as the, the stock market and, oh, it can't go any higher or, oh, there's a big correction coming. And that all may be true, right, because the. $20 trillion plus of debt, trillion dollars of student loans, trillion dollars of credit card debt, a huge amount of subprime auto loans out there. I mean, I could talk to you about all that too. But there's also the possibility that we could break through and be much more wealthy than we had even imagined. And, and I know that sound, no, people don't like to hear this. They like to hear catastrophe. But as a nation, if, if you look at how far we've come in the last 100 years, why can't we think that in the, in the next hundred years we will become even more prosperous and wealthy? I'm not, there's bumps along the way. I'm not saying the market's going to go up like a rocket ship and there's not going to be any corrections. That's crazy. But I'm saying overall, I feel like we have this hesitation like America has, you know, we, it can't get that much better. And I believe that Trump does not think that's the case. I don't think he's willing to stop where we are right now. And that's why. When you get the Chinese government saying today they're going to impose tariffs on $60 billion of goods in response to Trump hitting them with $200 billion of, of tariffs, you know, he, he is playing the highest of high stakes poker here. But keep in mind, what if he wins? There is that possibility. I mean, I can't say it's a probability. I certainly can't say it's a certainty. But if that were to be the case, we would be operating in an entirely, uh, you know, different with entirely different economic horizons. I mean, our, our sensual, a sense of what's possible, where the future could go. But it requires something like this. It requires new thinking and risk-taking. And with risks, there is obviously real downside. I, I do think that once these tariffs hit after the midterms, 
there's going to be some economic pain in this country. I'm not sure it's going to be severe or anything, but I do think that it's we're going to see some, you know, every every action has an equal and opposite reaction in the markets. That's going to be the case. But Trump has a vision. He's trying to execute on it. And if he is successful, uh, people look back at this presidency and they will say, isn't it amazing how he saw it when nobody else did? The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Man, what a day, folks. What a day, what a day. Uh, as you know, Roll Call is where we get to hear from all of you. And uh, you can send me your thoughts at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And here we go. Let's get to it. I don't, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to stand on ceremony. I want the team to tell me all the things. Will, first up here, he writes, Saw Rising today. This segment from the reporter at The Intercept is troubling. I believe it's being misconstrued, however, to jam up Kavanaugh, and it's likely to be just an area where, in testimony, he went with the safe response of, I cannot recall, since there's no way to remember one's inbox that far back. God, I can't stand these people. Such hacks. You know, folks, this is very instructive. The whole Kavanaugh thing is very instructive, because what it shows you is that if if dishonest people are in power if dishonest people have the ability to investigate you to publicly humiliate you it does not matter it frankly does not matter how innocent you are it doesn't matter how beyond reproach your entire life has been they can get you and i've seen this at work and i'll be honest with you i've seen it at work on the law enforcement side when they know somebody, for example, is a jihadist, but they don't have them on terrorism, then all of a sudden you get a few prosecutors who come together and they say, oh, okay, well, we can't get him on terrorism, but we should get him on something because he's a bad guy. And they can usually do it. There's usually a way. And if they can get you to testify enough, then they definitely can. And with Kavanaugh, he has given a categorical denial. So now what they're going to say, just like they've done with Trump all along, they're going to move the football. What they're going to say is that it's not the misconduct, alleged, alleged misconduct from when he was a, uh, a, a minor. Um, it is that he is lying about it now. That's what they're going to say. That's going to be the, the game that they play. And this is really showing you folks what we are up against and, and what I'm obviously up against day in and day out trying to, I, I'm not trying to sound hokey. And those of you who've been with me a long time know this, you know, I have many days where I wish I had a, a, a more, you know, a more peaceful life where I was just making money and hanging out with English bulldogs and, you know, baking gluten-free cookies and being with the missus. But first of all, I need bulldogs, a missus. There's a lot of things that are missing there. Uh, but, you know, that would be nice. But I view myself as as a warrior for the truth, and I, I really do. And I, I come every day, and you allow me to do battle, all of you who listen to this show. And you are a part of the battle by listening and also by supporting what I'm saying and what I'm up to. So 
you know, that's uh, but but it's hard because you have the other side. They want to destroy you. I mean, they really do uh, because they represent at their core. And I, you won't hear this from that many places. They represent uh, some evil ideas. And with that, they represent in some cases, in some ways, evil. And what's at stake with the Supreme Court is a now multi-generational institutionalization of evil through a, an abortion industry that is a holocaust of the unborn. And there are a lot of people who will go to extreme lengths in order to protect something so immoral. Uh, and it, it is the greatest moral stain on this country since slavery. And as you recall, things got very ugly when we ended slavery. So things are, are getting very ugly right now politically. Um, and I, I hope that it stops there. But I do have my concerns that it goes beyond that. Uh, and that's and that's why this all the, the tactics. I mean, these people should be ashamed of themselves. The journalists who are colluding with the Democrats, who are just running around doing everything in their power to destroy Judge Kavanaugh. I mean, this guy's got a wife. He's got children. This man has led an exemplary life. They're talking about he grabbed some girl allegedly at a party when he was 17 and he was drunk. And now and now he gets to have his and now he gets to have his reputation and his life's work, all of it ruined. What? It's obviously the whole thing is unjust. It's unjust, but the wicked don't care about justice, my friends. And unfortunately, you know, evil is also very alluring. It's very powerful. And that's why you have as many people with big megaphones and platforms and huge multi-million dollar salaries in the media as there are who are just dishonest and who will destroy people who get in the way of the agenda, of the progressive agenda. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little, I'm getting a little far afield from roll call. I let, let, let me get back to it. As you can tell, today I've just, I've really had enough of what they're doing on the other side. Um, and here we get David who writes, Walmart, oh my God, I'm checking out at Walmart with Harley's huge bag of pedigree and this nosy lady behind me asked me if I had a dog. Um, okay. Okay. Okay, now this is a joke that he copied and pasted. Thanks, Dodd. Thanks, David. I'll read that one on my own. Uh, Luke writes, Shields High Buck, hopefully I'm in the right place for roll call. Indeed you are. Question about the Kavanaugh accuser. Heard that Grassley asked Feinstein for a phone conversation with this woman and Feinstein outright refused. Whatever happened to the right to face your accuser, keep up the good work. Um, yeah, if they, if there is no active testimony by, by uh, this uh, Professor Ford, if she does not stand in front of people who can ask her questions, because remember, there's no legal criminal proceeding here. This is it. If she won't do it, then the Senate has a duty, an absolute duty to not consider at all the allegations at all. If she will not, now that she has come forward and attached her name to this, if she will not submit to questioning, her testimony should be entirely discounted. That's the way it should go. And watch the left try to backpedal and come up with all kinds of things if they if they don't. All right. Everybody needs to stop beating up on me because I don't know about Obama's whistling. Hey, Buck, surprised you never noticed Obama whistling while he speaks. Why don't you back off? Buck, here's a lot. He doesn't hear everything. He doesn't hear the whistle. Okay. He doesn't want to hear the whistle. He doesn't want to hear talk about the whistle. I looked it up on YouTube for you so you don't have to do any deep research. You can listen to his listen to his voice here. Shields high. All right. All right. Guys, I get it. I get it. Obama whistles. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, I got another message here from Kyle about the whistle. Oh, enough of that. Greg writes, Shields High Buck, nice Wayne's World reference. I was curious where, if anywhere, I could get audio of your Battle of Lepanto and the other audio documentaries you did back on The Blaze. I think it was on the Battle of Thermopylae. I have a 15-year-old daughter that I'm very slowly trying to get into understanding conservatism, and I've already introduced her to Ben Shapiro. I'm thinking it would be excellent jumping-off point for me to broaden her conservative horizons. People like you and Ben are a positive reinforcement that can help me explain to my daughter what I think politically and morally. The more conservative my daughter is at age 15, the better. I have three years left to make my daughter uh, have a better grasp on our political theory and philosophy before she ends up in the socialist grindhouse that is modern-day college. Thank you, Buck and Shields High. Greg, I think, let me see, if you t- if you go to, and I'll figure this out in real time, uh, if you go to The Blaze, I think you can still find the Lepanto audio there. So if you, if you go online and type in uh, The Blaze, The Battle of Lepanto, um, yes, that's right. You go to The Blaze, doc, just type in The Blaze, The Battle of Lepanto, and it will pop up. It's also on SoundCloud. Um, but I don't want to tell too many of you about this because I am going to do an updated version of it. So uh, you can go listen if you want. But it, maybe, you, Greg, you can listen to the old one, but get ready for the new one, which I know, guys, it's going to happen. I am i don't like to come on Radio and Wine because some of you, whenever I do that, you're like, Buck, we come to you for insight and, and knowledge and fun. We do not come to hear you whine about how hard you work. And you are right. Those of you who have told me that, that's why I try very hard. But I do have really long days, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm a production team. I got producer Mike and producer John and Brandon. They've got my back. But, man, we're a small ship, you know. It's just us. So uh, I got a lot of things I got to do. Uh, Max writes, whoa, Max wrote an essay. I'm going to have to get back to this another time, my friend. Uh, Ali writes, Buck, something started, or is it Ali? I can't tell. No, it's Ali. It's Ali because he's a dude. Am I being gender normative? Buck, stop being gender normative. Buck, something started to happen to me at college 30 years ago. I stopped it, and the guy was too drunk to argue, but I remember very well where I was and how blessed I was to get out of that party. But I never told anyone too embarrassed that I was stupid enough to get myself in that spot. Um, well, Ali, I, I don't... I, is it, I guess it is Ali. Is it Ali? Is it Ali? I, I can't tell. But, well, look, I'm glad you got out of that spot. And, uh, you know, that's... I agree. The biggest hole in the accused, if, even if she were to show up, the biggest hole, as I see it in this whole thing, is that uh, she doesn't know the time and place. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I think about times in my life where I thought, you know, there were a couple of times where I had to get into a little bit of a scrap at a house party. It happened. You know, somebody it's usually, you know, somebody didn't like that I was talking to a girl, you know, when I was 16 or 17 and some guy would come over and, you know, once or twice things got, uh, well, maybe three or four times, things got a little physical. Uh, I remember where it happened. You know, I remember what house. I couldn't tell you the month necessarily, but I could tell you where. Absolutely. And that's obviously a much less traumatic thing than, um, you know, than, than when we're talking about the allegations here. Uh, so anyway. Uh, that's that's a big part of all this. I, I really just have... I, look, I just I just don't believe her. I just don't believe her. Um, and that's all I can tell you. Taylor writes in, ooh, Taylor's got a nice photo of some red meat here. My first crack at dry aging steaks at home. Went with a mid-grade two-bone ribeye to test it out. If all goes well, next I'm getting the tomahawk. God bless America. Shield time, my man. Taylor, that steak you have, that mid-grade two-bone ribeye, 
looks amazing. Um, and the tomahawk, I got to tell you, I, I had that tomahawk steak recently in Baltimore at the Prime Rib was the name of the place. That's one of the best tomahawk steaks I have ever had in my. It's one of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. So I got to give props to that place. Uh, who knew Baltimore had good food? Uh, team, that's going to be it for today. It's been quite a day, folks. Uh, please do spread this podcast far and wide or this radio show. Tell people about it. Either one. I'll be back with you tomorrow and, of course, uh, the rest of the week and every day next week because that's how we roll here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, be sure to follow me on Facebook. And until next time, Shields High.